Please remain standing for the reading of the New Testament. Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, reading verses 6 through 14. God's holy word for the New Testament, Mark 15, beginning in verse 6 through verse 14. God's word. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he uh, answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with uh, the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. As for the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. So do you know your own mind? That is, you have thoughtful and resolute positions and opinions, and so you're not easily swayed. Peer pressure and fads will not blow you around like a kite. You are not a lemming just following the crowd, but you step to your own principled beat. Well, most of us like to think of ourselves as such, For it is, after all, a scriptural attribute of wisdom to be a person of conviction and stable in your beliefs. It's fools that are blown to and fro by every breeze of change, but the wise are founded upon God to withstand the fickle ideas of worldly trends. And yet the sturdiness of our hearts meet a whole new challenge as soon as you are dropped into a crowd. Surround us with a bunch of people swimming in one direction, and all of a sudden, going against the current becomes much more difficult. This is what we call the mob effect. A person can be swept up in a mob and end up doing something that they would never normally do. Now today, we can find these mobs online. A Twitter mob mob has caused many a regret. But there's nothing quite so powerful as a good old-fashioned face-to-face mob in the street to turn sane people into crazy ones. Well, our Lord, as he moves closer to the cross and to the end, he himself has to face a mob. So we are mid-trial with Pilate. Remember that the priests have handed Jesus over to the court of Rome to confirm their guilty verdict and to carry out the execution that they want so badly. And despite the hill of charges amassed by the priest, Pilate could only filter out one with any validity, and this was the political charge of Jesus claiming to be king. This at least catches Caesar's attention and will not be tolerated. Rome was very quick to send rival kings to the chopping blocks. And yet to the amazement of Pilate, our Lord would not defend himself. He made an ambiguous remark and then fell silent. Jesus' prophetic office went quiet so that his priestly office could serve in silence and blood. 
At this point, though, Mark adds a narrative detail. He fills in some background material about the festival uh, custom. For it was the regular practice for one prisoner to be released as requested. We have no other information about this custom. We don't know how old it was, if it went back to Herod the Great, or if it was just a Roman prefect thing. Now, we do have similar examples of this in other parts of the Greek and Roman world, and even further back in the Old Testament world. Nevertheless, whatever were the details, this custom is particularly fitting for this festival, which, remember, is Passover. This was the pilgrim feast celebrating and commemorating release from Egyptian bondage. God had set Israel free from slavery. Thus, this, particular, this is, it's particularly apropos to free a prisoner at Passover. The imagery, however, gets richer yet. Based upon the Exodus, the Lord in the Old Testament was often praised as the liberator of prisoners. He doesn't despise his people in prison. He hears the groans of prisoners and sets them free. He brings out the captives out of dungeons, and he says to those chained in darkness, come out. And this liberation of captives was especially part of God's second exodus salvation, and it fell to the work of the Messiah. As we read in Isaiah 61, the Spirit anointed the servant to proclaim liberty to captives. Or in Zechariah 9, the Davidic shepherd will set free prisoners from the waterless pit. The Hebrews celebrated Passover in the hope that God would free them from the dungeon of foreign oppression. Therefore, it's quite the accommodation for the Roman governor to grant them this little festive custom. Now, there was likely a good dose of pandering and contempt in this for Rome, but it humored the, quote, pathetic Hebrews. Yet these Old Testament themes of release, exodus, and the Messiah makes you wonder about Jesus. If the Messiah emancipated captives, then why has our Lord not done it? Yet, throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus has not delivered a single person from jail. He broke no one out of the slammer. In fact, he left John the Baptist in jail, where he ended up to, uh, was beheaded. Does this mean our Lord forgot to do one of his jobs? How can he fulfill Isaiah 61 and many other passages and not uncage his people from the joint? And Or is there yet time for Jesus to accomplish these promises of freedom? Well, this whole background of Passover and Exodus freedom is in the air as our story continues to unfold. Next, we're introduced to a new character. He is a guy named Barabbas, which means son of a father, rather bland name. Of course, Barabbas is locked up in prison, but what he did to get there is what is interesting. For he is not a lone criminal, but he belonged to a group of rebels. He and his fellow rebels stirred up an insurrection or a riot. 
And the fact that he's singled out from the rest of the criminals probably implies that he was the ringleader or at least a captain of some sort. Second, this riot or revolt is his first felony. Such a riot was was some sort of mutinous mob. That is, the rebels instigated a mob in order to topple or at least frustrate some part of the Roman government. And in the top five things that Rome hated the most, it was the mob. For Rome understood that mobs are like a chaotic monster that leaves destruction and wreckage in its path. Mobs burn down cities, they lynch governors, and they let blood flow in the streets. The tense groupthink of mob made people lose their individual sanity. In a riot, rational people will torch their own homes. Therefore, the Roman army was always at the ready to swoop in to crush any whisper of a mob before it could gain momentum. Nevertheless, from the Jewish side, this insurrection against Rome belongs to the methods of the zealots and the Jewish freedom movement. Now, we're not told the goal of these rebels, if they were more political or more self-seeking. Either way, the Jewish patriotism of the day would have more or less sympathy towards Barabbas and his gang of insurrectionists. This, though, is not the only felony of Barabbas' rap sheet. He's also in for murder. In the process of the riot, murder was committed And by Barabbas himself, did he stab a Roman soldier? Did he slit the throat of a low-level Roman bureaucrat? Or did he just bash in the head of a bystander? Again, we do not know, but blood stains the hands of Barabbas. This guy has three strikes against him. He murdered a human, stirred up a mob, and rebelled against the good order of Rome. Anybody with two pennies to rub together knows that Barabbas should die. Sharpen the guillotine, crank up the voltage, tie up the noose. Now that we've had our meet and greet with Barabbas, Pilate gets back to the trial and the Passover custom. The crowd is bellied up to his tribunal, and they're asking Pilate for their Passover present. And so Pilate offers them a suggestion. Surely you want the king of the Jews. Pilate has the perfect prisoner for them. He is called a king. He has some popularity, and he's harmless and innocent. This is better than letting an actual criminal go and be back out on the streets. This way, Pilate can appease the crowd and protect the good order of his office. Pilate is being a shrewd governor here. Though the tone of this offer is likely mocking and scornful, there is no way Pilate would release a king with any sort of potential for an uprising. This means that Jesus is so pathetic and wimpy in Pilate's eyes that there's no harm in letting him go. Thus, Pilate offers a despicable king to what he thinks are wretched people. He presents a loser king, to a loser people. Pilate may have the honesty to recognize that Jesus is innocent. He has the good order to give Jesus the right to self-defense. 
He has the acumen to try to placate the crowd and to let an innocent man go free. But Pilate has no respect for Jesus. In his offer of Jesus, he ridicules our Lord and the crowd. In fact, Pilate has the savvy to try to kill three birds with one shot. He can first wash his hands of Jesus. He can satisfy the festival custom. And third, he can poke the priest in the eye. For Pilate has some street smarts. He can read the stuffed shirts of the priest like an open book. Note what it says. He knew that the priest handed Jesus over out of jealousy. Pilate's no hack. He knows how to read people. And he sees jealousy scribbled all over the face of the priest. Through Pilate, then, Mark exposes for us more of the motives of the priest. And jealousy is very telling. For one, this word for jealousy is often matched up in Scripture with other sins like murder, strife, arrogance, deception, and hypocrisy. And all of these fit the priest to a T. Yet jealousy heralds from a place of insecurity, fear, and selfishness. Jealousy wants it all for yourself, and it will not share. Their love for their positions of power, wealth, and wisdom is first and foremost to them. They want honor for themselves, and they cannot tolerate any honor going to others. Jesus was popular with the people, which drove the priests crazy. He possessed a real honor and acted with a true authority, which they feared. Especially, though, as the Messiah, Jesus spelled the end of their office. The priest served until the Christ came. To acknowledge Jesus as the Christ meant bowing the knee to him and handing over to him their office. Remember, the Aaronic priest served only until Melchizedek arrived. The type had to give way to the reality. But the priests would not suffer this. You would have to pry their office from their dead, cold hands. And so they would kill anyone who threatened their comfortable positions of privilege. The priests professed to serve God, but in their jealousy, they only served themselves. This is the evil sophistication of jealousy which is why it's a deed of the flesh and why Paul calls us to put it to death and to put on goodness and humility. For jealousy sets us up against not merely other people, but against God himself. And even this pagan pilot can recognize the depravity of jealousy in the priest. Though as Pilate is poking at the priest by trying to release Jesus, They are in no mind to lose. The priests are determined to get their way, so whether Pilate knew it or not, the priests have been mingling amid the crowd. Like sharks hiding in a school of tuna, they will steer this rabble to their advantage. With whispers, suggestions, and chants, they start inciting the crowd into a mob. They cheerlead for, cheerlead for excitement. They weave lives to create groupthink. They stir up fears. 
and they whip up patriotism. The priests are inflaming a riot, the very crime that Barabbas was arrested for. Either or earlier, as you'll remember, the priest didn't want to kill Jesus during the feast in order to avoid stoking a riot among the people. A mob under their watch was dangerous for them. But here they are using a mob for their own ends. They're willing to risk it to get rid of Jesus. But with a crowd stirred up as a boiling cauldron, the price the priests have set the voting ballot. Pilate only wanted one name on the ballot, Jesus. The people could vote him up or down. But the priest got a second name on the ballot, Barabbas or Jesus, vote for one. And the choice between these two candidates is deeply significant and telling. For on one hand, Barabbas represents revolution. He was willing to do violence for freedom. He stands for political liberty and authority from Rome at the point of a sword. On the other, Jesus stands for spiritual freedom from sin and death. He represents nonviolent submission to Roman rule. Barabbas swings the sword. Jesus speaks the gospel of peace. Barabbas sacrifices others. Jesus sacrifices himself. Barabbas stands for the theocratic, Jesus for the pilgrim. Barabbas is the way of self-redemption by power and politics, while Jesus is salvation by humiliation and death. Barabbas works in the visible world for revolution from tyranny, but Jesus labors in the invisible world to earn satisfaction for us. Barabbas kills the innocent. Jesus dies for the guilty. Barabbas represents the heroic and the brave, a dangerous threat. But Jesus is presented as a loser king, harmless and pathetic. Subjugation is the talent of Barabbas, to lord his strength over others. But Jesus is the son of man who came to serve and lay down his life. The choice is between the earthly man And the heavenly man, between the temporal and the infinite, the political and the spiritual, the winner and the loser. This is the voting booth in which the crowd stands. It is the ballot they are to cast. Jesus or Barabbas, for whom would you vote? Well, the mob is not on the fence. With unanimous vote, they cry out, crucify. Crucify Christ and set free Barabbas. They vote to kill the Son of God and to liberate a riotous murderer. They make the human choice, for even though Barabbas might be a horrible person, he at least had the stroke of a winner in him. He was willing to fight. He stood for a cause. He tried to make a practical difference in their political lives. Barabbas was was relevant for popular concerns and proud desires. But Jesus, the crowd thought he was a loser. 
He never stood up to the Roman oppression. He didn't encourage Jewish patriotism. He wouldn't even defend himself in court. And if he cannot help himself, then how can he help others? Jesus talked about freedom from slavery to sin, which was too abstract for the popular mind. Mobs prefer the practicality of Barabbas, who gets it done. Thus, the rabble votes for Barabbas. He is a hero that they can get behind. And they call for the crucifixion of our Lord, which is a fate below all others. For crucifixion was not just about pain, though, of course, physical torture was part of it. Instead, this type of execution was for social determinants. Displayed naked upon their torture devices, the crucified were judicial warnings and political propaganda. By the cross, Rome published its power to punish and destroy. Crucifixion was theater whereby Rome said, obey or die. Likewise, Rome used crucifixion as the ultimate warning of shame. As you'll remember, honor was one of the greatest currencies in the first century. Thus, shame was the worst debt. Upon the cross, Rome stripped the person of all dignity and respect to clothe him as the most vile and atrocious. Crucifixion was the ultimate dehumanization. It made the person the lowest of the lows, a hateful abomination. As the mob then cries for the crucifixion of Jesus, this is our Savior becoming the basest of all humans. He is being categorized as the worst man, hideous, disgusting, and despicable. Crucify him, says Jesus, is not even worth the name human. He's bestial, subhuman, a freak, that cannot be allowed to live. In chance for the crucifixion, we then see how deep our Lord's humiliation must sink. For in reality, Jesus was true man. Being without sin, Jesus' humanity was purer than ours. God made humans in holiness and righteousness. Sin corrupted our human nature. It's a deformity to our humanity. Sure, we have the same nature with Jesus, but we are infected with the cancer of sin. Jesus was cancer-free. Then, being perfectly righteous for his whole life, Jesus was the best man. He was the most honorable human to ever walk this earth. Son of man and son of God, Jesus of Nazareth surpassed all in pristine honor and yet here he submits to be, cra- to be crowned the basest man upon the cross. Jesus takes all the unspeakable shame of the worst human upon himself. And shame is an agony that pierces deeper than the nails that held him to the cross. For shame poisons your heart and says that you're worthless, ugly, hated, Nothing. This is how deep was the humiliation of our Savior for us. For we were the unworthy and shameful ones 
But Jesus took our shame upon himself. And what was the result? As the mob voted for the crucifixion of Christ, the murder Barabbas was set free. As the righteous one was convicted, the guilty went free. Indeed, for the first time in his earthly ministry, Jesus set free a prisoner. And yet Barabbas' liberty is just a picture for what Jesus Christ truly did for us. For Christ's concern was not civil jails, but with the everlasting prison of sin and death. By him going to the cross, Jesus freed you from the condemnation of your sins. He rescued you from the eternal dungeon that you deserve. As well as Jesus set you free from death and its fear, and he liberated you unto heavenly life unto his resurrected life. In love, then, Jesus sunk to the lowest position to win for him and us in him the highest place. Thus, may we not fall into the mob mentality of the world, for the world still chants crucifixion and shame at the cross of Christ. Christianity is still a joke to the world. The world still favors the Barabbas type, the heroic and revolutionary type, and it scoffs at the cross as pathetic weakness and shameful losing. But we, may we lift high the cross of our Savior. In faith, may we boast in the death of our Savior as our only redemption, our only hope, and our eternal security. May we see it as a privilege, then, to bear the reproach of our Lord and King Jesus Christ by taking up our crosses and following him. And then, as we hide ourselves in Christ's cross, may we lift up our voices, week in and week out, throughout our days, to ever sing the praises to the name above all names, Jesus Christ. For he was humbled unto death, even death upon the cross, and he received the highest name, the highest honor, a place at the right hand of the Father for you. Amen. Let us pray.